at the end of the day, and she says, well, there's a chair right behind you. Why don't you sit on it? So I'm going to do it, do it today uh, and uh, see if I can preach sitting down. That's, you know, it's weird. You, you get used to hiding behind this thing here, and it's not there, and it's like, okay, now what am I going to do? But uh, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're heading into a new series this morning. I've been talking a little bit about it, and uh, if you want to go ahead and get in your Bibles, Matthew 5 is where we'll be going, and and uh, we'll be spending some time in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. Uh, uh, but let me pray for us once again, and then we're going to dig into it. Father, thanks for your word. It's so important for us. It's in your word we hear the good news about how much you loved us and how you stepped into our world and provided an opportunity for us to find forgiveness and have a restored relationship with you. And, and uh, so grateful for that. And just... For then the uh, insights you give us into what life is supposed to look like <clears throat> as one of your followers, as one of your children. So, so guide us this morning, help our hearts to be prepared. And, and Lord, if there's something here, and I think there is, that you mean to speak to each heart in this room, help our hearts to re be receptive to that. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Attitudes. Or as... One Christian uh, speaker once put it, sport and a toot. Any of you ever sported a toot? You know, you just, you have a toot. And, and uh, uh, you know what, everyone, every, everyone has them. Uh, periodically, uh, we just, we have toot. Now, there, there are folks that uh, seem to have that every cloud has a silver lining attitude. And, uh, you know, and that's okay, Unless you're in the middle of one of those crappy days, which those people drive you crazy on those days because you're really not wanting to hear how great life is because you're not in agreement or alignment at that moment. Uh, and, uh, but, but they're out there. And, and there's also the folks that their glass is always half empty. It's just the reality. Uh, they take their cloud with them. Wherever they go, it just follows them around. You, you think it's bad now? Just wait. going to get worse. Uh, that other shoe will fall. You just wait. Uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is a train. It's coming. You know, that's kind of the way they walk through life. Uh, it's not going to work. It's all going to be a mess. Don't try it. You're just going to fail. And uh, you wonder, how do, they, how do they make it day to day with sporting that kind of attitude? Uh, and then, like I said, there's the other side of the spectrum. The people who seem to live with their head in the clouds, everything's simply wonderful. It's great. Uh, it's a piece of cake. Happy, happy, happy. And uh, it's like, oh, uh, kill them, kill them, kill them. Uh, <laughs> some days, you know, that's kind of, yeah. So, and then some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I have my days, but then I deserve it, you know. If you, I work hard, I, uh, I have plans, I put in my time, uh, I've dreamed my dreams, and none of it has amounted to anything. Uh, I'm, I'm in a dead-end job, um, my marriage seems to be in the toilet. My kids are breaking my heart. Life's the pits. And so, of course, I have a toot, uh, an attitude. What do, you, what do you expect? Plus, on top of that, it doesn't feel like anybody cares. Not even God on some days, uh, if not most days. Uh, so, for all the folks that are sporting the toot, and we all sport one of some kind, this morning, we're going to begin looking at a message that Jesus gave uh, and, and was recorded by an eyewitness uh, in, in one of his journeys uh, when he was on planet Earth. Uh, and it's a message where he's going to deal a lot with attitudes. 
uh, let me kind of maybe warn us in advance. He's going to say some things that at first hearing sound absolutely crazy. Just do not make sense. And when you hear the statement, you might have a, a tendency as a first reaction just say, this is this is crazy. I'm, uh, this isn't worth the time that it's going to hear. I'm going to hear Paul talk about how can he? How can this apps? How can this statement be true? Uh, it it just doesn't make sense. But let me encourage us to hang in there, because as we think through each of these important statements in this message that Jesus made, I think it'll come together. And and I pray because I think it's a very important. Uh, to hear his heart on these matters. And so I pray that we do, because uh, it has a lot to do with, with the songs we sang this morning, this uh, I surrender, and where God's trying to take us. And, and by taking us into these places, he's, he wants to do some things in our life that we cannot experience any other way. So we're going to begin looking at this message this morning. Uh, it is the longest recorded message that, that Jesus gave. Uh, while he was spending, while he spent time on planet Earth, it took place on a hillside just above the Sea of Galilee, as as it was called back then. And it's a it's it's a lake, and so now it's recognized as the Lake of Gennesaret. But but this is a record of that speech. It was written down by an eyewitness who was there, who saw the message given and listened to it, uh, and his name was Matthew, and that's why we're in what he wrote, the gospel he wrote in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew was a Jew. Uh, Matthew worked prior to becoming a follower of Christ for the Roman government, which did not make you very well liked by the Jews, by his fellow Jews. On top of that, his job with the Roman government was to collect taxes. So you can imagine he didn't get invited to parties very often uh, and, uh, and probably his family as well. But it made for a lucrative living. He, he made good money. And, uh, and, and before he met Jesus, that's kind of what, what mattered, what was most important and, uh, and what he was chasing after. But when he came face to face with Jesus and heard him talk, uh, Jesus had such a profound impact on Matthew's life that eventually Matthew would actually quit his job and say goodbye to the lucrative uh, finances that came with it and devote as much as time as he could possibly devote to spending time with Jesus, to being with him, watching him, watching his ministry, hearing what he had to say. And we benefit from that because then we get to read his record as we're doing in these upcoming weeks of this particular message that took place on the mountainside that's often is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was followed by this time in his ministry, most everywhere he went, he was followed by huge crowds that were growing all the time, getting larger all the time. Why? Well, for one reason, uh, uh, I mean, he said some things that were, were uh, pretty amazing to folks. Uh, one, the claim about him once one time was he speaks... Uh, in a way that our other religious leaders don't, that there's something different about it. But probably the bigger reason was where he went, big things happened, miraculous things. Uh, people got healed 
demons were cast out. Uh, some crazy stuff took place where, wherever Jesus seemed to be, and, and word got around, and, and uh, so folks wanted to see some of this happen. Some folks needed it to happen in their life, so they went to hopefully get the opportunity to be healed, be one of those individuals that benefited from the touch of Jesus and the impact of Jesus in his life. So crowds were there this day when, when he paused on this particular spot on the side of this mountain, looking over the Sea of Galilee, and began to speak to them. Uh, but then as he began, the words that came, that came out of his mouth just didn't seem sensible. Didn't make uh, anyone probably say, wow, that's just what I needed to hear today. Because as we walk through this, you're going to have maybe some of the same impact. And, and even as we begin tonight, today in verse 3, where he says this, happy are the poor in spirit. Uh, NIV translates this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, happy, blessed, those are good words. I, you know, those, I, I like those words. I, more than that, I, I like to experience those words in my life. I think you probably, probably do too. And so, Lord, yeah, I want to hear more about that part of this. You know, I, I like to hear about the happy stuff, the blessed stuff, and, and uh, how, how, how that happens, how, how I can experience that. Uh, and, and in reality, it's worthwhile because if you, those, the Greek that was translated blessed or happy, depending on your translation, uh, actually speaks to this. It's, it's Jesus saying something like this. Do you want to have a full life, a fulfilled life, a life that is uh, described as satisfied, as uh, wonderful? Uh, if they, is that what you want in life? And I doubt that there would be very many of us that would say, no, I'm not interested no, we're, we're interested. And that's what is involved in this word. In fact, the Apostle Paul twice in his writings used this word in reference to God, uh, that God is blessed. And in other words, that God is so complete in, in, in who he is and, and what he has at his disposal that he needs nothing else. And now Jesus is talking to these folks and talking to us and saying, and using that word in reference to us. He says, you and I can have that, that we can experience that kind of blessing, uh, that kind of happiness. I, I, I don't need a bucket list. My bucket's full. Uh, I, I have everything that I want uh, this is a huge thing. This is a, is a big deal. And Jesus says to his followers, I want this to be your experience. I want you to know what this means and, and what it feels like. And it's better than riches, and it's better than prestige, it's better than titles, it's better than a great job or uh, a smooth life, a healthy body. It's better than any of those things that we would usually associate with happiness or blessing. Uh, it's an attitude changer. It, it's, it's like being able to say, man, I, ha I have it all. 
uh, I haven't made. I can't think of anything else I need. If life was any better, I'd have to pinch myself. So, so about now, you're thinking, okay, uh, I knew it. This, this, I, this is the week I should have bought a lottery ticket, you know, uh, or, or I better get home quick because the publisher's coming to my house this, today. They're going to bring that big check. Because usually when we think of happiness or blessedness, that's what we associate it with. Uh, having much, uh, whether it be things or finances or uh, just the good things of life from our vantage point. That's what comes into mind when someone says, you want to be happy, and you say, yeah, I want to be happy. And, and let me tell you, I can give you the list of what it takes to do that. And, and the folks sitting on that hillside with Jesus weren't much different. Uh, their list might have been a little different, uh, but it still would have been the same kind of things. So then he shakes it all up by saying, blessed are the poor. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> no, that's not, that, that doesn't make sense. Oh, but it's probably one of those things, you know, that you always do, Pastor Paul, where you say, well, here's what the Greek word really means. And so probably what this means is, it doesn't really mean poor. It means like in comparison to God, which none of us, you know, in comparison to God, the riches of riches on this earth are, are really poor. So you mean in comparison to God, and yeah, I, I can take that kind of poor. And so that's what this, is, this means, right? It's that kind of a word. Now, you know what poor means here? Poor. It means destitute. It means helpless. A sense of total lack. And it's not just physical poverty that he's talking about here. Uh, because we know there, there are a lot of folks that they don't have a lot physically. Uh, and, and they're still happy. So we know that happiness doesn't necessarily come with things. We know that. Some of you said that. Some of us, especially us, us old guys, we see it all. We say, You're, you know, we, back when we first married, you know, we didn't have anything. We didn't have two nickels to rub together, but, but we were happy. And you mean it. It isn't pretend. And so, so we know that everything isn't wrapped up in the physical. But he says... Now, what I'm talking about here is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the person that sees himself by any rational way of thinking, at least from our perspective, as poverty stricken. I'm nothing. I have nothing. That's so counterproductive to what we hear and think today. You know, we, we, we think, no, you need to think highly of yourself. We, you need to realize you can accomplish. We tell our kids, you know, any, you can be anything you want to be, which I believe is very poor counsel by a parent to a child because it's not true. They can't be anything they want to be. Uh, if you understand God, you will say, you can be, God has gifted you to be certain things, and, and if you follow that, you're going to 
find success, but uh, you're not, not every kid's going to be a star athlete, even though lots of us thought we were at a time. Uh, not every uh, person, child's going to be a movie star. Not a, uh, that's we, the reality is. But, but here he's saying that we're really in a good spot when we come to the place where we understand that really I am totally lacking. I am helpless. I am destitute. When it comes to the things about God and having to do with his kingdom, I got nothing to offer. Poor in spirit. What's that mean? Well, maybe let me start by uh, talking about the opposite. Uh, some of you remember Chuck Colson. That name will ring a bell. Do you? Uh, <clears throat> Chuck Colson back in the 60s and early 70s was maybe the most, one of the most powerful men in the world, honestly. Uh, if he, he was uh, uh, in the cabinet of the, the President of the United States, he was referred to as the hatchet, hatchet man. He was so powerful that powerful people would have anxiety attacks when he called and said, I would need you to come to my office. That was not a good thing. He's, he, was, he was a scary dude uh, by all accounts. Uh, he was, from his perspective and perspective of the world, really, anybody, he was on top of the world. He was untouchable, really. He was, he was untouchable. Uh, he had so much influence on the president and, which, and then consequently on the world because our government was in a place then where the world did look to us as that power place that, that uh, he was, it was amazing the power that was at his fingertips and, and the wealth as a result. He, he had it made. And in his own mind, he believed that. He believed he was untouchable. He believed that uh, he was on a pedestal and nobody or nothing could knock him off. And then came the political scandal that rocked our country and the world called Watergate. Uh, if that may not have a couple of years ago been a familiar term to some of you younger people, it's becoming familiar again because we're hearing all this talk. And we're, here, we're here, well, this, is, this thing that's happening in our government now, it's even worse than Watergate. You may say, well, what was Watergate? You go back and look and, oh, okay, they're saying this is a pretty big deal. Well, Watergate happened and... As a result of that, uh, Chuck Colson got knocked off his pedestal. Charges were filed, uh, and most of it fell at his, his feet. His world came tumbling down. He was publicly shamed, humiliated, knocked off his throne, fallen face first, into a manure pile of his sinful decisions and actions. Within a very short period of time, Charles Colson came to understand what poor in spirit meant. He came to a place in his life where he literally saw himself as nothing, as worthless, as unforgivable. You want to read about it? He wrote a book about his experience called Born Again. 
but he came to that point where he thought as far as, I mean, he had failed his family, he had failed our government, he had failed important people, he, and he had never had a relationship with God, but he was sure in his own mind that that was an impossibility. Someone like him, God didn't want to know. He was poor in spirit until he met Jesus. You know, it's interesting. We just finished uh, studying the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, uh, Philippians. And, and the indication is that when Paul came to Christ, before Paul came to Christ, he thought he was a big deal. When he came to Christ, he still thought he was a big deal, only now he thought, I'm God's big deal. <laughs> you know, here you go, God. Uh, this is his own testimony, by the way, and we saw it in the book of, of Philippians. Uh, it took at least a decade for God to chop away at Paul's arrogance and his ego and his sense of, I have whatever you need, God, just let me know. Send me that direction. I'll take care of business. It took a decade for God to chop away at that, to bring the Apostle Paul finally to the place, and we saw this as we looked at that letter, where he said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Paul came to the point where he was poor in spirit, where he held out empty hands, to God. And said. I don't know. What I have to offer. But it's yours. It's yours. If you can take this pile of rubbish and use it, then so be it. I'm yours. The message translates this verse in Matthew. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you, there's more of God. We understand this concept because, you know, we've all had that experience where, where we felt like maybe what happened was happening in their life at the moment was tragic and yet came to realize later that, no, it wasn't tragic. It just opened the door for something that was wonderful. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, I want to do something wonderful in your life. I want you to experience on a regular day-to-day -day basis happiness, blessedness, but if it's ever going to happen, you've got to come to me with open hands and with the recognition, I don't have anything to offer you, God, but I'm going to give you 
what I am. Take it and use it. All I want to do is to serve you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And if that doesn't mess up you, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at this one. Blessed, happy, are the sad. Let that mess up your mind for a couple of weeks, and we'll talk about it. Let's pray together now, though. Lord, there is so much that you want for us. We think we understand happiness, blessedness. We, we don't. There, there is so much about that that you want us to know. But we get in the way, Lord, because we have all these other things that we have our focus on and we think life is about and, and, and maybe even think that being happy is about. And, and all they're really doing is interfering with what you can and want to do in our life. We asked you at some point, most of the people in this room, maybe everyone in this room, to take that gift of forgiveness you're offering and apply it to our sins. But, but Lord, at the time, maybe we were just kind of adding you to our life. Just one more thing that we felt was important and needed to be a part of our life. But you're saying, no, I need to be your life. I need to be what you're about. I need to be your everything. I need you to realize that you don't have anything that I need, but I have everything that you need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thanks, Lord, for these words and for how you're going to use this message in the days ahead, Lord willing. Thanks for the chance to think through it together this morning. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. The church will stand together, sing one last chorus. Our prayer team is going to come up here, be at the front. If you'd like to have someone pray with you this morning, I know they'd be glad to do that. Let's sing together. Church, stick around for the potluck, and then Wednesday night starts family night. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next time.